Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. And we are recording for Johnny Mnemonic. Get me the iPhone. iPhones. When he calls for the... That, did you hear him say that? When he calls for the little thing to put over his head, he calls it an iPhone. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I was already overloaded with... It's understandable. <laughs> not only Johnny's not the only one who's overloaded with uh, information in this movie. Yeah, that is... I mean, this requires... I don't think that we can do this movie justice until like we watch it ten times. We probably should have done this a two parter. First examination, second examination. A rewatch, this is what we caught. That is indeed Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> Confirmed. Well, hello and welcome back to the Contrarians where we're right and you are wrong. My name is Alex. As you can tell, as always, I'm joined by my buddy Julio, co host, co friend. I still haven't thought of anything zippy to say here in the beginning. Uh we are here today. You know, when you wind down a, a year and there's a new year on the horizon and, you know, it's kind of like the holiday thing of you just say, fuck it with your diet because, you know, a new year's coming up, a fresh start's coming. So with our month of December for the contrarians, we said, fuck it, just throwing the diet to the wayside. We're going with the Keanu Reeves one-two punch. Yeah. How did we get here? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's like we did it like, on a past episode, I know that the, the IMDb journey is partly to blame because we got That's that. That's what spawned the, it, yes. Right. And then there's some guys from a podcast called Spit and Polish that threw the name Johnny Mnemonic in the conversation mm-hmm. kind of irresponsibly, I believe, now that we've seen the movie. Just osmosis yeah. um, absorbing us into the internet, much like Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah. I mean, the gauntlet was thrown in thrown it was we picked it up and so plugged before, it into our brains before what episode are we on 70 74 74 so 75 uh new year's day will be speed and we will cross that bridge when we come to it we'll speed through it not unlike uh sandra bullock flooring it over the incomplete highway we're mentioning speed so that you don't lose faith on this show <laughs> <laughs> because 74 is it's gotta be rough it's a it's a it's a trek, and we are here today to discuss Johnny Mnemonic, the 1995 uh, Keanu's follow-up to Speed. You know, he was on top of the world after ridding the cinematic universe of Dennis Hopper, uh, at least momentarily. It's like, what will? How do you follow Speed up? Well, not with Speed Two. He said no to that. <laughs> no, that was uh, Jason Patrick, right? Yes. Cru- yeah, Speed Two Cruise Control. <laughs> Bad decisions being made everywhere in Hollywood. <laughs> The family tree of this uh, this conversation is not a good one. But Johnny Mnemonic, 1995 summer release, starring the numerously uh, numerous times mentioned Keanu Reeves. This is a movie that was um, 
made for the cyber age. And the was, age we live in right yeah, now. We're, th- we're apparently three years away from what this is going to be. I am so excited to th- in three years just to be living there. All bets are off. Well, actually, I was wondering if maybe we fucked up the timeline by electing Trump. I don't know if we if we made sure that this was going to come to pass or if we disrupted it. The movie didn't really give me an answer. Because on we one hand, a mnemonic courier for the, his 300 gigabytes of tweets. Yeah, because on one hand, this is a future where people are technologically savvy. I, it, it's almost a leap to think that we'd be there in three years. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the world's gone to hell. Yep. So, fifty-fifty. I think that. <laughs> well, my biggest concern way. is that we're going to revert back to CRT monitors. The the way that they have no flat screen or plasma TVs in this movie and VCRs. Well, that I can handle. I've got you. You've seen my collection. I've got a hefty amount of VHSs. I, I cut ties. I, I can't. I can't hoard. I think I, if I come across Johnny Mnemonic on VHS in a thrift store, I'm gonna have to pull the trigger on it at some point. But that's the only way to own it. I think that it or Laserdisc. All right, so let's get to the gravy here. This is the Contrarians. We're kicking off Johnny Mnemonic with, uh, as always, our first portion of the podcast, which is Contrarians Corner humorously or not humorous to us jokingly referred to as hashtag cc from time to time just by ass i don't think anybody else calls it hashtag cc i think if we took the a year poll that'd be the one that's the one thing people would want removed from our podcast in the year 2021 hashtag cc will be trending don't <laughs> it'll worry. be over uh so for this movie johnny mnemonic stands at a stinky green splotch of 14 percent it's it's down there in the doldrums with uh, some of the other ones we've done. Pretty sure Paul Blart's higher than that. But for the intents and purposes of this, for this first portion here, we will be arguing, raging against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, as we like to say. If you want to know what we really think about this movie, stick around to the second half, which uh, will be real talk. Pretty sure that's going to be longer than the first portion here. And easier. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes Contrarian's Corner is a breeze. Sometimes it's a struggle. And uh, not to spoil real talk, but... This was kind of a struggle, just taking notes, and we'll see. I, I mean, I have I have some ideas. But anyway, we are going to make it sound fresh, but before that, here's some rotten quotes from uh, the Run Tomatoes website. And, you know, not many quotes. I think overall they, they were listing about 30 reviews, but most of them were quoteless. So, quoteless. yeah, they couldn't even bother. They just, yeah, they didn't want to put their name to it. <laughs> they just threw the, the green splotch at the screen and tapped out. Um but here's a few. Uh, Mike Clark from USA Today, he says, you can have a better time title scanning Johnny Picks in an alphabetical video guide than you can enduring the latest Blade Runner knockoff, Johnny Mnemonic. Bringing Blade Runner to the forefront. I mean, Blade Runner is the 80s. At some point, it needs to be revamped. I mean, it just happened. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> I, I was given that movie for my birthday, and I still haven't watched it. That's, you can wait. It's okay. Uh, Dennis Schwartz from Ozuz's World Movie Reviews. He just says, a cheesy cyberpunk thriller. Uh, Michael Dequina from TheMovieReport.com says, Reeves showcases his considerable thespian skills in a climatic monologue about room service. And see, Michael Dequina, that's where you go wrong, because that's the high point of the movie. He wants the club sandwich. He He, wants the cold Mexican beer. He wants an Oscar. He does. That's his Oscar clip. And finally, Brian J. Arthurs from Beach Reporter, Southern California, says, should have called it Johnny Moronic. 
week. <laughs> Low hanging fruit. Come on. All right. So to kick off Johnny Mnemonic, uh, I felt to bring us up to speed, the easiest way would to be reading the first two paragraphs from the Wikipedia plot synopsis. Oh, I thought you were going to read the, the opening scroll, the Star Wars. Oh, that just, yeah. We do get an opening uh, scroll. The That's a movie in itself. It is. It's a it's a short film. Yeah. It's like previously in Johnny Mnemonic. And it's catching us up on decades worth of backstory. The year is 2021. President Trump is in his second <laughs> reign as president. Emperor Trump. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a second term. I had watched one the other day where uh, Nixon gets elected to his third term as president. Uh, that would be the real horror story. So uh, what I'm going to do is just to bring us up to where we are, go ahead and start off reading just a little bit of the plot synopsis on the Wikipedia page. Now, if you're a longtime Contrarians listener, you'll know the only other time we did this was for Smoking Aces. So I hope that gives you insight into how just how intricate and uh, well thought and thought provoking that this story is. In 2021, Johnny is a mnemonic courier with a data storage device implanted in his brain allowing him to discreetly carry information too sensitive to transfer across the net, the virtual reality equivalent of the internet. While lucrative, the implant has cost Johnny his childhood memories, and he seeks to have the implant removed to regain his memories. His handler, Ralphie, assigns him one more job that would cover the cost of the operation, which is extremely expensive, sending Johnny to Beijing to collect the latest information. Johnny is told the information exceeds his current memory capacity of 80 gigabytes, but he acquires a compression unit that effectively doubles the amount he can hold. 80 gigabytes is... It's like uh, my phone yeah, right now. <laughs> it's half of my phone. God bless. So we are going to regress at some point. He meets with the client, a group of frantic scientists who tell him that they want him to carry 320 gigabytes of memory. Johnny accepts this, knowing that the overflow of data will be uploaded directly into his brain, which can cause psychological damage and death if not removed within a few days. Johnny uploads the data to his storage, with the scientist selecting three random images from a television screen to use as an encryption key. Just as the scientists are about to send the key to the data's receiver in Newark, New Jersey, they are massacred by the Yakuza. Johnny manages to escape with a portion of the encryption key. Now let's go to real talk. <laughs> so, that kicks us off. Johnny, it is what it says. He has a storage unit in his brain where, you know, the government implants secrets. Yeah, Johnny is, you know, he's Randy Quaid from Independence Day. He He's a conspiracy theorist that said the aliens put these things in his brain. And it's true. It is true. But, you know, he's a... But sexy. He's Randy Quaid, but sexy. One thing they didn't explore here uh, that I was kind of disappointed about was this opening scene, you kind of get a hint that um, Keanu, Johnny, is a, a, a this is a business to him. This is his job doing this. So he's a he's got a nice suit. He's a straight laced businessman. But also there's a little bit of a tease of a master of disguise type element, which isn't completely flushed out because he escapes this battle between these scientists and the, the Yakuza. Uh, and he flees through the hotel dressed up as I don't know what. Um a French car driver, perhaps? A French race car driver? I mean, it's the year 2021, so it could be anything. We we just don't have the necessary context. That's for true. Us. I truly believe this movie was made in the year 2021 and then sent back in time. Via a mnemonic uh, courier. Yes. As a, as a warning. 
it's the, uh, the Princess Leia plea that's uploaded into R2-D2. Right. The data was corrupted, though. Therefore, there's some stuff that's just missing, and that's why we can't quite understand all of it. But I bless Reeves because, obviously, you know, he read the script, and he could tell that there was just bucket loads of information being thrown at us every minute. And so he does what he can to help us. That includes adding pauses in his dialogue just to allow us to digest everything that's going on. Well, I think it adds to the robotic nature of his brain. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that's how he justified it to the director. Mm-hmm. But then really he was doing it just for the audience. Like, I need to slow this down. Even if it means that Dolph we Lundgren doesn't to... show up to like an hour into the movie. And gets second billing and is apparently the villain. God bless. Uh, but yeah, he he realized I need to spoon feed this to people, or they're going to be lost. They already just read War and Peace to kick this son of a bitch off, so we need to get right into it. Uh, the Akuza have some fucking awesome weapons. They have you know just standard run of the mill guns, but they have this um, laser whip. Yeah, it's like a, it's a it's got handles on each side, so it's kind of like a, a piano wire that you see in the old mob movies, but it's made of like lightsaber material, so it just cuts through people. It's fucking awesome. Twenty twenty one. I'm ordering one of those on Amazon. We're going back to VHS, but God damn it, we got laser whips. You got to take the wins with the losses. So it's true. Uh, no, I'm glad that finally. If somebody... Trump invents the laser whip, this will all have been worth it. <laughs> Re-election right away, <laughs> third uh, term. Uh, I, I I'm glad that somebody finally brought the the yakuza to prominence. They really, they're especially kind of... in the sci-fi realm. Yeah, I mean, what was the last time? Are, are they the the bad guys in the second Wolverine movie? I think. It's possible. And, and even then, you know, they, they don't really block that on the head. They don't come across as particularly impressive. Uh, here, they're a constant threat. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned the second Wolverine because that has Ken Watanabe in it. And much like Ken Watanabe, my mouth was not closed for the duration of this movie. So Johnny's on the run now. Johnny's got Johnny's got a problem and he's out of control. He flees to Newark, which is I believe it's billed as the last free city. Yes. That's not under some sort of tyrannical reign of any sort. Uh, and his dealer or handler, whatever, what was he referred to? In- Creepy Man Prime, Hugo. His handler, yeah. Uh, Udo uh, oh, Kier. Udo. <laughs> Udo. Udo. Udo Kier. Piercing eyes, always, but yeah, always just Always making you creep. uncomfortable from the other side of the screen. Just looking through the screen directly into your soul. He's like, you're looking at you and going... I know why I'm here. I got paid. What's your excuse? <laughs> well, I have a podcast, sir. And he's talking Johnny into coming and meeting up with it. He runs some sort of really weird underbelly club. Uh, and Johnny is now starting to realize that whatever's in his head, you know, he's kind of like a Ryan Gosling and Driver. He doesn't give a shit what you're doing. He just wants to get in and get out. But he's starting to realize that there's probably some serious shit in his brain. Yeah, and for all his professionalism he has a little bit of a of a wild side because really he he just overloaded his brain mm-hmm. and of course the movie later we get the excellent henry rollins just spelling out the, the message of the movie for us but really the movie is about overload of information mm-hmm. learning too much what happens when you just you just do too much to your brain and and that's exactly what keanu does he has the the 80 gig iphone in his head, mm-hmm. and he just downloads. He's got an iPhone four in his head, right, right, and he downloads twice that amount of information, 
blindly too he jailbreaks his iphone he wants to run android on his iphone pretty much yeah that kind of stuff you can't get away with it for too long so he has a 24-hour deadline before his brain just turns to mush and at this point he just wants it out he's like i want out i want to get this done i you know i want to i'm two days away from retirement i just want to get out of here it's robert duvall and falling down yes oh god bless uh, Pharmacon has a vested interest in this. They are a global uh, pharmacological company that uh, has invested high stakes in this da- data that's being transported in Johnny's head. Uh, the executive, Takahashi, w- is he our antagonist or would the antagonist... Because, you know, we'll get to Dolph Lundgren. I think he's just like the ghost of Christmas past. He's just kind of a spirit that flows throughout the movie. So it would either be Takahashi or um, Shinji from the Yakuza that would be our antagonist. Well, I think that just like life, there are many antagonists. There are many things throwing obstacles at you. So, yeah, you have the the big pharma guy Mm -hmm. who looks kind of like a serious version of Jackie Chan. Especially when you get into the action sequences, mm-hmm. uh, and then you have the the main yakuza guy, Shinji, who has the the cool laser whip. Yes, it must be really expensive because he's the only one that has one of those. But he knows uh, how to use it quite expertly. Right, and then uh, and then down the line you have Lundgren, and then a whole bunch of background characters that you could really they could go either way depending mm-hmm. on on where they're leaning. And uh, and how much I've had to drink. <laughs> so uh, the Yakuza once added also, they understand the value in this information that's being transported in Johnny's head. Uh, Takahashi like almost immediately gets buyer's remorse of hiring the Yakuza. So uh, kind of jumping ahead, we'll loop back around. But he ends up hiring, uh, referred to in the movie as a street preacher, but basically um, a robotic Christian bearded, Dolph Lundgren named Carl for hire. He's amazing. Not that the movie needed him to be amazing. There's already a lot of cool stuff going on. But when Lundgren shows up like an hour into the movie, it's just... And, and I don't think that he gets... We don't get opening credits. So no. you didn't know that he, it was coming. And I didn't know it was coming. Mm-hmm. And then and then just the original Punisher is on screen with there long hair. and Frank Castle. Across... It's quite possible that this is what happened to his Punisher character. He just lived in the sewer for 30 years afterwards. Found religion. Yes. And he his weapon of choice is this giant fucking... It's the Jesus jackhammer. It's this giant, like, almost sword-like weapon, but it turns into a crucifix at the top. And then he, he likes to nail people to the wall. Very biblical-style killings of his victims. I, early contender for the for the Embrys. But he's, all, he's also very guilty of um, the sin of... Uh, pride because he is consistently stealing body parts and being rebuilt within just to stay alive to be immortal he he believes he is the the savior he does say jesus has come at some point he does have his sheep herding wand as well that he walks around with can't forget about that uh but that's a little bit we jumped a little bit ahead so winding back when um keanu when johnny gets to his handler ralphie um Long story short, finds out that he's working with the Yakuza, and he's trying to set up Johnny. What they want to do is cryogenically freeze his brain, just cut his head off and fucking put his head in a little briefcase and carry it around until they can get out what they need. This is, if you, because this is an obscure movie, sort of. I don't think that many people, when you th- when you say Keanu Reeves, you think The Matrix, you think Speed. 
even the lake house well yeah i was gonna say devil's advocate damn you <laughs> but uh you don't think you don't jump to johnny mnemonic right away and if you were watching this movie especially because you've already gone through one action scene uh where keanu did okay you're expecting him to kick ass and save himself, mm-hmm. right? They had him dead to rights, but you kind of think that it's Keanu Reeves. So of course, time's going to slow down and he's going to pull out some sick comfort Johnny moves. Utah. And, yeah. But instead, he uh, he gets saved by a character that I think really makes this movie. Jane, played by Dina Mayer, who, quick backstory on her, it's about the extent of what we get. Because again, you got to keep up with this. There's only so much time we have with this movie. Uh, she worked at this club as a bodyguard. She was um, like cybernetically engineered, I want to say. She, she's she got some enhancements. Yeah, but she's kind of falling apart and breaking down uh, and isn't as useful as she once was. So now uh, the other women at the club are very disparaging towards her and Ralphie treats her like a piece of meat. They They make fun of her like the mean girls and mean girls. This is true. So she's had enough. She doesn't really know what the fuck's going on, but she knows the difference between decency and filth, as Kevin Von Erich would say. So she breaks in and saves Keanu and is basically uh, haggling him for his life. He's got a knife to his throat and it's like, I'll get you out of here for 20 grand. Or no, he offers 20 grand and then she says 50. And he says, done. And then they break out and... He says it just like that too. I'm trying to think. Does the... Yeah, Keanu gets a gun and holds Ralphie and uh, Shinji hostage, or not hostage, but just a gunpoint, while they take off, locks them up, and then Shinji's on the chase after them, but he just fucking offs Udo Kier in the meantime. Because why not? Because we got to get that laser whip some use. We got to see how fucking devastating it is. So he like almost Zoros him, where he cuts like a Z out of him. It's fucking crazy. His buddy just slides off in three neat yeah. pieces. And just then, for barbecue. And then you can hear cut, and then Udo Kier go, ha ha, cut me my check. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Dinah Meyer, uh, she, I would say she's more of a badass than Keanu Reeves, at least in this movie. When, oh, yeah, easily. When you get to the action scenes, you can tell that she can handle herself much better than Keanu. And Keanu's probably just restricted by that suit that he's wearing, plus all the extra gigs in his brain. Yeah, I was about to say his head's weighing him down. Never happened in a Keanu Reeves movie. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is where we are introduced. We kind of get a brief introduction to Ice-T, J-Bone earlier, but this is where we really get a feel for uh, J-Bone and the, the Lotex is the name of the group. and. Uh, I wouldn't really say they're a gang. It's more just it's their not even territory. It's just their home. Well, they're also they're the resistance. And you know what's crazy? I actually looked this up as we were watching the movie, and that was my mistake because I missed like twenty gigs of information while I was looking this up on my phone. But uh, this was released in nineteen ninety five. Tank Girl was released in nineteen ninety five. In nineteen ninety five, Ice T led two revolutionary God, God mo- movements. Bless. That is the peak of his career, probably. One would have to say, um, I think I was wrong when I called out that, uh, who did I say was in this shot? The police chief from... Andrew Brar? Yeah. I might have been wrong about that, but I'm going to check in. Uh, you think he was just visiting the set? <laughs> they just say, hey, come on. I don't know. It looked like a young Andrew Breyer, but I- I'm not entirely sure. We do have a uh, cameo coming up later, though, that is uh, a good one for the Contrarians Faithful. So... Yeah, this group, they inhabit the last free city, and essentially they, they're they not going to fuck with people until people fuck with them. Right. So they don't open fire or anything. They just tell the Yakuza, you know, slow your roll, 
let these people pass through in peace. And Keanu, again, this is just adding to confusion and more shots of him, you know, almost breathless and looking around, not really knowing what's going on and uh, holding his temples. So Having brain flashes. Yes. So the low-techs let um, Jane and Johnny through. They go into the sewers or subway, whatever it is. And this is where uh, Dina Mayer shows some human humanistic decency and just letting Keanu, like, take a nap. Well, he was—he looked tired. He'd had a rough day. He had been almost decapitated, and he'd just been carrying that heavy load. Not for to a long mention time. the fucking travel from Beijing to Newark, New Jersey. I'm surprised they still have a red eye uh, in 2021, but it's good to know that travel is not going to be impeded. Well, you know, it's it's a world of wonders in three years. Uh, I also, I this is here where obviously now she's picked her side. Now she's Tim Keanu, and. I like the subtle difference in, in her appearance once she is with the good guy. Mm-hmm. Because before, she looked kind of like a strung-out junkie. But now, once she's with Keanu, she kind of cleans up. He wakes up from the nap, and she looks... Her hair is <laughs> down and looks more natural. It's like she washed her face. And and then they have a few bonding scenes as they travel. And I really appreciated just the fact that, you know, storytelling, it's all about contrast, how you move a story forward. So what better contrast than having Demare playing a human being to contrast Keanu playing a robot. Especially, you know, kind of stealing a page from the Avatar book of uh, not interspecies relationships, but just, you know, two people from two different walks of life that you wouldn't think have much in common. And, and Keanu, the mnemonic courier, and With Dina Mayer, the, yeah, the ragtag bodyguard uh, from but- whatever that bar is that they worked at. Suffering from some debilitating disease, but then again, so does he now. So it weaves in and out pretty seamlessly of a sci-fi thriller and a quirky, you know, summer indie comedy flick. So you never yeah, know I mean, what you're going to get. You give this uh, this script to Nancy Myers or Nora Ephron, and you would have a completely different movie. Noah Baumbach would do wonders with this script. Ben Stiller as Johnny Mnemonic. <laughs> they break into a discount computer store. As Johnny's trying to see what he can do to get on the net. So the net is the exclusive internet. It's basically, you know, it's the Patreon of the internet. You got to pay to use the net. And he's trying to navigate his way through and he gets these parts he needs and it's, it's virtual reality. He puts on a headset and he gets into the net and we get uh, interwoven cuts of him with the headgear. And, you know, I, this is, I don't think it's played for laughs, but it is kind of funny, you know, like when you watch people do virtual reality stuff and they look, they're moving kind of uh, very erratically and, you know, they're not in control. Uh, so well, at first, in control I was here. about to say at first it's kind of funny because it looks like that, but then you realize Keanu knows exactly what he's doing. So it's more just cool to see him pick up these pieces that we don't see. But then we go to the VR and we see what he sees. It's yeah, it lawnmower is. Lawnmower Man-esque. Yes. Well, and I was thinking I had never known uh, until now that. Steven Spielberg completely ripped off this movie when he did Minority Report because all those hand movements where he looks like he's directing like an orchestra or something. Mm-hmm. And that's just basically what Tom Cruise does in Minority Report when he's scrubbing the image for for uh, for clues. Mm-hmm. It's Keanu was doing it 10 years prior. And Spielberg was in the theater taking notes. Yes, he was. He was downloading all that information to his to his private brain hard drive. I'm just picturing him in the movie theater watching this, and then he takes out his little headlamp that he reads with the night, and he gets his little notepad out, hands moving, 
like orchestra. Virtual reality. <laughs> I, I also think uh, probably the most delightful moment in the entire movie is when he first gets in there and he starts navigating this virtual reality sea. And then you see a, a an icon of a planet because mm-hmm. he wants to make a long distance phone call or something. So he goes his hand goes for the planet and enlarges it. But when he touches the planet, it goes boop. (laughs) It's just so innocent. (laughs) Jane is on lookout though. And the Yakuza is hot on their trail. And she says it's time to get out. And they have already implanted a virus into the the data in his head. So as soon as he's starting to make any sort of headway, he gets shut down and uh, blacked out. But she says it's time to go. I know someone that can help us out. So enter Henry Rollins, who we do see for a brief moment a bit earlier in the film. But this is the formal introduction uh, to Spider, who is a lot like the Kevin Smith character in A Good Day to Die Hard. Pretty much, except hunkier. <laughs> oh, dude, Henry Rollins is in rare form here. I mean, he, he's he's still he's his, his looks have improved in a sense with like the silver lining in his hair and stuff. But he's here, aged gracefully. He has aged gracefully. But here it's just like prime Rollins, big traps. Just, you know, it's a prime cut of Rollins. It, it is. And like I said, he blends in perfectly. I could buy this as 2021 because he just looks like a bartender from Austin. He has the tattoo, the glasses, just a plain shirt tucked yeah. into some jeans. And again, um, we may have a few early contenders for the Embry in this film because Henry Rollins, not necessarily known for his acting, but he comes to play here. He, he brought he packed a lunch. And it's not just a cameo. I mean, this is not the movie trying to be cute by casting Henry Rollins in, in a bit role. He gets a workload of exposition to go through and yeah. thank god it's henry rollins because that's how you pay attention yes uh he he basically he gets to finally tell us what's in keanu's head mm-hmm. and and i don't know that i would have been able to handle it if i didn't have somebody that was not just good to look at but good to deliver the exposition and it gives us a break not that we're necessarily tired of uh jane and johnny yet but it gives them a break some time to sit down and just kind of relax and listen and you know um it's a shame that Keanu doesn't say, it, but what does it all mean? He's too tired. It's too, <laughs> he, but, he says it with his eyes. Right. Yeah, sometimes all the acting is just behind those pupils. But it's also nice to just get to somebody that knows what's going on and is not afraid to share it with the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that he comes in right at the time where I probably would have just disconnected from the movie. I would have gotten a little frustrated with the fact that I still don't know what's going on. It's fine if Keanu doesn't know what's going on, but I want to know. So it's really cool because Henry Rollins comes in. He's exuding charisma. He's very charming. He he fixes up uh, Dana Meyer, who's having some sort of attack, like an episode. And then, and then he tries to fix Keanu Reeves. And then we find out that once again... Like he would be at many times in his career, he's the chosen one. Yes, and uh, the reason that uh, Jane is having a hard time is she does suffer from uh, nerve uh, attenuation syndrome, known as NAS. They call it the black shakes in the movie. Just seems to be from you know the deteriorating circumstances they live in. It looks like seizures are a part of it, and well, Rollins comes out and says it. It's because she uses the internet too much. Yes. He says, information overload. <laughs> and all I can think of is all those teenagers browsing the net with like 10 windows open and and then also playing on their phone and having their PS4 on at the same time. Eventually, you get the shakes. This is true. It's like uh, that Pokemon commercial that gave all those kids in Japan seizures. Exactly. Like that. This is And this is a movie from 1995. And they already knew that where we were headed. This is where we're heading. The information overload. We're all just going to have to revert back to, you know, 
there's a reason why it's just VCRs <laughs> in the future. And Three the CRT years. monitors. Um, so this disorder, NAS for short, what's in Keanu's brain is the cure for NAS, meaning unlimited internet, unlimited power, <laughs> the ultimate unplugging the router and plugging it back in. <laughs> But with a firewall that will keep all the all the pop-ups and all the all the viruses away, you can. It's a safe internet. But it's in danger because you know the the word of this movie is um, seepage. We we get seepage a litany of times in this film, probably and, as gross as it sounds. And Rollins explains basically the data is seeping into his out of the hard drive into his brain, and it's going to end up corrupting all of it. Right, and that's Keanu's It's probably fault. killing him. It's Keanu's fault because he... He put too much dip on his chip. Yeah. <laughs> he he cracked that iPhone 4. <laughs> he did. He jailbroke it, and now he's mad, and he's trying to take it back to the Apple store, and they're like, whoa, whoa, get out. Uh, Rollins, uh, what does uh, Keanu say? That he needs to see a Dr. Allcom? He saw something in the on the net about a Dr. Allcom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And... <laughs> Which this is like, you know, the word of the day type of sets off alarms in Henry Rollins' head. So during all this is when we're getting our cuts of Dolph Lundgren getting suited up for battle and you making know, his way at the warship at the at the altar. And <laughs> what they go to leave and he just like steps out. He's like, the hello, power of sinners. <laughs> the power of Christ compels you. Yeah. He says something that Henry Rollins just runs him over. And they're like, who the fuck was that? You don't want to know, man. The mob killed his family years ago. <laughs> He's become crazy since then. So then they go to some undisclosed location off the coast of Alaska, like at the end of X-Men 2, and you don't really know where they are. And then Henry Rollins like, takes his glasses off and is like, Hello, I'm Dr. Alcom. <laughs> he explains that Dr. Alcom is um, you know, the football. It's the emergency status word that if you hear that, you need to get to this fucking bunker and pray for the best. He what what is he even good? It's like a hospital or some shit that they're at. It, it looks some sort of it looks like some sort of refugee ca camp where yeah. there's a bunch of people connected to wires and. So Rollins is going to perform emergency surgery. Takes in mnemonic or excuse me, Johnny, just Johnny. That is uh, we skipped over that incredible line. He's like, "Who the fuck are you? I'm Johnny. Johnny who? Just Johnny. Keanu Reeves. Johnny mnemonic. <laughs> Not Johnny English." <laughs> Not Johnny football, Johnny, just Johnny. Uh, he's going to perform emergency surgery on him. He says that without the encryption key, um, he's not going to be able to do too much. He explains that he can do it the old-fashioned way, cutting open his head, pulling it out of there. He, he's telling him you might lose some you know, motor function. Your memory will be about three minutes old. And then Keanu's like, fuck this, and gets up and rips all the uh, wires and headset off of himself. And then fucking... Dolph Lundgren just reappears and he's like, hello, sinners. I like that this movie basically it it shatters your expectations because you're looking for the, the Keanu Reeves arc here. He's given this this choice where he can get this information extracted and that'll probably end up either killing him or severely disabling him. But that means that people like like Dynamire get the cure. The entire world benefits he just basically sacrifices for the world. And he a says, lot of the Matrix revolutions. Exactly. Uh, but he says, fuck that. Right? And so you think that the end of the movie is going to basically involve him finally making that sacrifice. He grows as a human being. And by the end of the movie, he'll be that kind of person that doesn't care if he's going to die or be severely disabled. All mm -hmm. he cares is that this cure goes out. 
but the movie subverts your expectations because Keanu gets away without having to make that choice. That is brilliant screenwriting because by now you're used to that kind of storytelling. Mm-hmm. So the movie needs to to keep you hooked a different way. And as soon as he entered, as soon as he leaves, Henry Rollin is is uh, crucified by Carl um, Dolph Lundgren. And it's an interesting shot because the first hand, Lundgren puts a knife through. Henry Rollins just kind of no-sells it. I thought the exact same thing. And then while Jane and Johnny are running away, he goes for the second hand and stabs it. And this must he must have hit like every nerve in his hand because he just lets out the brave heart. <laughs> he gets a close-up, too. He does. And it, it doesn't it like go into the blackness of his mouth? It, yep. Yeah. So, so I mean, so many different void. options. Do you think that for the first hand, he was just keeping it together because he didn't want to cry out in front of Keanu and, and Dynamite? <laughs> he wanted them to be He didn't want gone. Johnny to think he was a little bitch. <laughs> Or or to come back to save him, which yes. honestly he should have known better. Keanu was out for himself, so there's no way that he was coming back for him. No. Uh, or it could be that just he he doesn't have any nerve endings on one side of the hand. Maybe one hand is robotic. I mean, there's plenty of people with mechanical limbs in this world. It's fair. The last thing he tells Johnny and Jane is you got to get back to the low techs and you got to meet Jones. Jones now becomes the fucking central focus of the rest of this movie. We're approaching the third act, and he, Jones... he becomes the seepage. <laughs> Jones seeps into the uh, conscience of this film. Uh, we go back to the camp of the low techs, and this is where we get our crossover from Empire Records, Coyote Shivers. I don't even know if he has a name, but he's one of the guards there with, um, I believe, Javier Bardem's cousin, Frank Bardem. Frank Bardem, the one with the lisp. The, yeah, he has a very unique way of talking, very memorable way of talking. Much Frank like the lisp Bardem. Bardem. He's this cousin from Tupelo, Mississippi, that they, they see each other every five years at the Bardem family reunion. Bardem gave him, got him the one audition and then said, from here on, you're, you're on, on your, your own. own. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I'll do this one favor for you. <laughs> and, and call, then, it. <laughs> call it. <laughs> Heads, Johnny Mnemonic. Tails, speed. My dad no longer owes your mom anything. <laughs> Yeah, but Coyote Shivers, it was just kind of a lark to see him in there because anyone from Empire Records, as you can tell, we have a goddamn award named the Embry after Ethan Embry in that movie. So anytime we can revisit that, we'll gladly take that. I mean, I would never have thought that we were going to see Coyote Shivers on any movie we'd, we would do in this podcast. So that was great, especially because, like you said, we're heading into the third act of the movie. And this movie, as good as it is, it is just battered me and mm-hmm. i'm sure it just it just kicked your ass too because trying to keep up with it was just it was a challenge i i was not expecting such a mental workout from a keanu reeves movie but it put me in the frame of mind that but it put me in the frame of mind that johnny's in with the information overload like i can sympathize right. with this character which is a brilliant tactical move it, but it's also manipulating your audience yeah it, it's so brilliant too because that's his follow-up to speed so people were already they were just set up for that kind of expectation. Oh, it's going to be another speed. And mm-hmm. then they get hit with all this information and this, this techno thriller. speed was intricate. <laughs> Buckle up, buttercup. <laughs> this is harder than driving a bus. <laughs> Coyote Shivers, unfortunately, is not with us too long. The Yakuza come in and take him out. Uh, actually, they use the laser wire to cut his head off. So he gets a cool death. He does get a cool death. Uh, we meet Jones, played by uh, Echo the Dolphin. And... <laughs> I I don't think much like Henry Rollins where he gets that first hand crucified. You're no selling this. <laughs> it's a dolphin. Jones is a dolphin. 
Yes, we get a lot of build up to Jones to the point where Julio turned to me and said, well, at this point, it has to be a big name actor or actress. I was bracing myself for Gandolfini or Tommy Lee Jones. That would have been great. Tommy Lee Jones playing Jones. Oh, God. Not as great as the Dolphin playing Jones. That that was... Name another movie where... The big reveal is a mammal. <laughs> a hacker dolphin. Yeah, and he's got, like, fucking um, Mad Max gear on and shit. He, he's ready to go. But apparently he was used in the Navy for his decrypting skills. He would... Uh, Intercept submarine transmissions. So their plan is to hook Johnny up to Cerebro and have this dolphin crack into what's in his brain and get it free. So that process starts going off that without a hitch. But then, like you mentioned, in the bowels of the uh, fortress, the Yakuza are starting to infiltrate. They start off by first fucking taking off poor Coyote Shivers Burko. His head was gone. And then it just turns into all-out chaos and pandemonium with a gunfight. So have we mentioned that Ice-T is here? Yeah. I thought we, we mentioned him at the beginning. I'm sorry. We didn't pull it back around. That Ice-T, J-Bone, is the... He's like the caretaker of the dolphin? His trainer? He's, but he's like the leader of the Lotex. That too. I mean, he's... I guess he's, you know, uh, Scott Summers to the Professor X. Jones is being Professor X. Which, for all we know, that could have been Patrick Stewart in a dolphin outfit. Just, meh. It's 1995 effects. They they fool you. If, if they can do the, the virtual reality tour the way that they did, then they can do anything. And also, can you imagine? I did think about this while we were watching it. And I mean, right now, it's it looks good. But can you imagine being in 1995 in a movie theater and experiencing this movie for the first time on the big screen? Just you see Keanu hook up and then suddenly you have that whole sequence where he goes poop on the world and then he he's just playing he's directing the orchestra minority uh, report style that that has to have blown some minds it's a goddamn shame it was a tri-star film and not a universal because i guarantee you that would have gotten its own universal 3d ride oh yeah yeah ride the mnemonic oh god would have been perfect they then, infect like, you with the disease at the beginning of the ride and then by the end of the ride the big animatronic keanu at the end the music is the ultimate weapon seepage has stopped <laughs> get the Gimmick T, I prevented seepage at Universal Studios. <laughs> Udo Kier at the end, shaking your hand. <laughs> the real one. <laughs> Thanks for coming out. Takahashi's there, which again, he's paid two hitmen to be there, but God damn it, if you, you need a job done, you do it yourself. So he's there to kill Johnny and get his hard drive out of his brain. I think that there is an entire movie that was probably going to be the sequel or sort of spin-off, sidequel, that is just Takahashi's journey because every time we check in on him, he's made considerable progress. And uh, what's fascinating, though, is you can see his office from the low tech hideout, maybe about six or seven miles. So some shit happened in between there, and I'm curious what like the side tracks and the, you know the side quests were. Right, it's like he, GTA when you don't follow the main mission, you go off to the side to get your little rewards. Well, I keep thinking of uh, of. Uh, that Zelda game uh, where he, you have the little fairy following you. Right? Zelda sucks. I don't know. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> that is. Oh, my God. We could go on for 30 minutes. <laughs> and, and just that statement. But no, uh, because he has a, this little holographic woman that every now and then will go, Takahashi, listen. And she will just drop some hints about what he should do next. And he never listens. Yeah, we haven't talked about the redheaded woman that's the conscience of the film because it's not – I think it's kind of like the end of um, 
lost in translation. It's not up for us as podcasters to explain to you what this is. It's up for you as a viewer to come up to your own conclusion. Uh, all I know is that she has the good sense not to reveal that Keanu is holding the cure to the disease that killed Takahashi's daughter mm-hmm. uh, until the very end. When Takahashi is about to kill Keanu, then she says, hey, listen. There was a, you know, that disease, Keanu has the, the cure, and the company you work for actually killed your daughter by preventing the the release of this cure. Correct. If she had said this at the beginning of the movie, we would have missed out on all these awesome adventures. So I'm glad that she waited So she's until... the conscience of the audience, because she knows what we need. Right. Yeah. And when we need it. <laughs> we uh, all needed to go through this this whole journey so that we could all grow as people, except for Keanu, because... You know, by the end, he's the exact same person. To the surprise of the viewing audience and to Takahashi himself, it turns out it's not really a good idea to try to double-cross the Yakuza. Uh, and he gets shot by Shinji uh, numerous times in the back. And then he turns around and says, oh, shit, Shinji. He doesn't even get a cool death like Kuyota Shivers. No. He doesn't get the, the laser whip. He does not. And Shinji pulls out the aforementioned laser whip and gets into a hand-to-hand scuffle there with Johnny Mnemonic. And uh, they battle... This fortress of the Lotex is suspended high above ground, and they somehow battle over a ledge where a bottom goes out. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but they're fighting over the New Jersey Harbor. Some awesome green screen yes. shot. And then we did mention that Coyote Shivers uh, was decapitated by the laser whip. So you would think something like that would be cool if it just happened one time, but that's where you're wrong because Johnny Mnemonic... They do it again here, and you would think it's kind of flat for the bad guy to die in a way that you've already seen, but it somehow makes it cooler that he dies by his own sword. It's called setup and payoff. After he kills uh, Coyote Shivers, the only thing that will make up for this, other than Coyote Shivers himself killing him back, would be Keanu Reeves killing him in the same manner as as he killed Coyote Shivers. Yeah, like the end of Expendables 2 when uh, Sly kills JCVD just the way JCVD killed Liam Hemsworth. Spoiler alert! (laughs) Man, fuck you if you haven't seen that movie yet. Uh, But a tie-in, much like in the Expendables 1 and 2, out of nowhere comes Dolph Lundgren again. Well, I mean, we knew he was coming. We just forgot. We both literally said, oh, yeah, that's right. He's... He was still a loose end. So he comes in, hello, sinners, and he starts swinging his cane. And He and knows that the movie's about to, to be over, so he's just... He's spewing. feeding Keanu, and his comeback is not quick, or not long, I should say. He he gets in his shit, and then um, I don't even remember. Oh, yeah, he fucking... Uh, he gets his ass kicked by a dolphin. That's right. Echo focuses in on him and shoots, like, telepathic laser... Be- he somehow triggers a satellite to shoot radioactive waves at him that sets him on fire. Right, because he has, I guess, all his cybernetic implants are making yes. him vulnerable to, to dolphin power. So Echo uses the power of the internet to kill Carl from the inside out, which, again, just a quick sidebar. You have this futuristic uh, cyborg played by Dolph Lundgren, who looks like Jesus and is a very biblical person, and you pick the name Carl. Some may think that's a questionable decision, because Carl is usually a guy that, you know, fixes your car or something. But, you know, I, I some would say like Ezekiel or uh, Joseph or Adam or something like that. But no, Carl. I mean, And you, you know what? You're going to remember it. You don't pick the name that you're born with. And I appreciate... Uh, Lundgren's just commitment and he didn't change his name to something more biblical just to go with the gimmick and said he's like well I'm Carl you deal with it if 
you have a problem, I will stab you with my Jesus knife. Uh, so he's done. He's burnt to a crisp. It's actually quite gross. Um, so we hook Keanu back up to Cerebro as Takahashi gave him um, a remaining uh, piece of the encryption code for the data in his head. So now Keanu has two pieces of it. So the, I have obviously the idea being that uh, Jones will be able to unlock the third um, by the process of elimination. So Ice-T, um, J-Bone gets on wherever they're broadcasting and issues a public service announcement that, you know, yo, that's shizzle. Listen up. We got the cure for NAS coming up. We're about to broadcast it, so get your VCRs ready. That is, he literally says, get your VCRs ready, and I got chills because so far this future had looked fairly cool. And I, unlike you, Alex, I do not look forward to going back to tapes. <laughs> I like my streaming. I like my Blu-rays. Uh, I mean, I understand if we have to downgrade to VCRs for the sake of the planet, I'll do it. But I'm kind of hoping we can change uh, the timeline a little bit. We're going to get laser whips, though. So so that's the trade-off? Yeah. You lose Netflix, but you get laser whips. Laser whips. But only if you join the Yakuza. <laughs> uh, so the NAS cure is eventually broadcast after um, Keanu engages in what was really a precursor to the final battle of Matrix Revolutions. It was like a sentinel battle in his own mind. It, it's just basically a Pixar short film. It is. It's You know what it is? Is the commercials for video games where it's not the actual gameplay footage, but it looks fucking awesome and makes you want to buy the game. Right. Where they get like Nathan Fillion and Andrew Brower to, to pretend they're characters in the video game. This is It is pretty amazing. And, and to all of you scoffing about the animation itself, it was 1995, so... Calm down. Mm -hmm. When you look at it in context, that is pretty fucking amazing. Keanu doubles himself up. It's one of those movies like Psycho. I'm sure at the time people were having like strokes and heart attacks in the theater, not knowing what was going on. I go back to my point. Can you imagine being in a movie theater and you think that a movie's over because uh, the Yakuza have been defeated, Takahashi's Dolph dead, Dolph Lundgren is, is burnt to a crisp. What more could happen? And then Keanu connects into a Pixar short film. And then the, the dolphin shows up in the in the animation as well. They're battling some creature mm -hmm. and then they, they pull out the final piece of the of the code needed to unlock the, the cure to NAS. Yeah. And the final piece is a picture of uh the conscience. The conscience. Takahashi's blue woman. And then the cure is broadcast on national television. Every screen available. Yeah, but everyone's seeing it, so you know. Um what they're showing doesn't make much sense to me, and they're showing it pretty quickly, but I think also our way of thinking will advance in the next three years. Well, our, yeah. Our ability to comprehend and hold things. Process information. Yeah. This movie is not going to be complicated at all for somebody in 2021. Uh, They'll watch it and fast forward and get it. Yeah. They'll make like the made-for-TV version that's 24 minutes long and just condense it down. <laughs> no explanations, because by now you know. It's like, oh, yeah, that's a laser whip. <laughs> uh, and then Pharmacon doesn't really explode, just catches on fire and burns down, and the movie ends with uh, J-Bone, Johnny, and Jane watching Pharmacon burn, and then, of course, gotta end it correctly, so J-Bone steps out of frame. <laughs> and and Keanu and uh, Dynamite not quite kissed. They already kissed earlier in the movie. Yeah. Uh, really out of nowhere. No. It feels like it's out of nowhere, but really it's right after his Oscar clip, which somehow we, we completely bypass his Oscar clip. Oh, we did, where he wants the club sandwich and the cold Mexican beer. That is the moment that he becomes relatable. Yes. That's when Johnny He just Demone wants a normal becomes, life. Yeah. Everybody wants room service. It, it, 
and I hate to use the word precursor again and in relation to the Matrix, but this is a precursor to the scene where, you know, I didn't ask for this. I don't want all this. I don't want to be the one. I just won a club sandwich. <laughs> I want my laundry done. And he said something about wanting a prostitute, a $10,000 prostitute. We can all relate. Um, so, yeah, that, of course, makes him extremely attractive, and that's when Dana Meyer goes for the kiss. That's right. That's right. So at the end here, it's just kind of a longing look into their eyes. And uh, you can, if you turn it up loud enough, you can hear uh, director Robert Longo say, Ice-T, get the fuck out of the frame. Because <laughs> he kind of overstays his welcome. And he takes just this quiet step backwards. <laughs> uh, but then we roll the credits. Directed by? Robert Longo. Based on a short story. Written by William Gibson. Based on a short story by William Gibson. Who has the sole screenplay credit, but almost refuses to take credit for it he said it's not anything like what he wrote so sure it's not i'm sure you had a smarter movie than this yeah mr longo came up with all the all the all this confusing stuff the only full-length theatrical release directed by robert longo well what else can you do after after this you peak yeah that's it mike mic drop he, he much like iced tea at the end he just kind of awkwardly, gracefully bowed out of the final frame. Keanu would go on to, to try to top himself. He's been chasing the dragon for 23 years now. Chasing the mnemonic. <laughs> okay, that was Johnny Mnemonic. Uh, this... Oh, dude, you know what happens at the end? And I, I don't blame you for forgetting, because I have to look at my notes. This this movie, it's too much. But mm -hmm. uh, there's this, this long-running tease throughout the movie that... He had to sacrifice in order to make room for them to install the hard drive. The yeah, actual, I know he, where you're going. He had to sacrifice his childhood memories. Right, and then he starts getting his memories back, and it's a Terrence Malick movie. That is. is so awesome. And it shows Brad Pitt kind of peppering him in the face a few times. Yeah, he has a tricycle, and Jessica Chastain is naked in the background. <laughs> um, but then it cuts back without it before it reveals too much, which is good, because I honestly thought that they were going to go and just reveal that Dana Myers was his sister or something. Yeah. But they had to restrain to just leave that up to us. Just to let you know that he's at peace now. And right. so we can be at peace. Yeah, he knows that he had a tricycle when he was a little kid. It's true. And one of the songs on the score for this movie was called Memory Johnny Ska Yakuza Firefight. That's the name of one track. It's track seven in the soundtrack. Yeah. And I really don't think there's a better way we could transition into real talk than that. Let's go to real talk. God bless. Listen, you listen to me. You see that city over there? That's where I'm supposed to be. Not down here with the dogs and the garbage and the fucking last month's newspapers blowing back and forth. I've had it with them. I've had it with you. I've had it with all this. I want room service. I want the club sandwich. I want the cold Mexican beer. I want a $10,000 a night hooker. I want my shirts laundered. Like they do at the Imperial Hotel. In Tokyo. Okay, we're recording real talk for Johnny Mnemonic. That first part was tough. That was that was this is not a good movie. That was mnemonic. It, yeah. 
Um, what is okay? There's nothing in this movie that has to do with the word mnemonic, right? As far as isn't like mnemonic when uh, I'm just thinking of that episode, The Office, where you create, you make associations that help you remember stuff. A device such as a pattern of letters, ideas, or associations that assists in remembering something. So yeah, if he's just, I don't know, it somehow pertains to his childhood memories. But really, all he's doing is just. He's got something in his brain that's pushing out his thoughts. He's a transporter. Yeah. But in his brain. He's an external hard drive. Is it just that this is when Keanu Reeves is going over his career? Johnny Mnemonic is the mnemonic device that helps him remember which scripts not times. to choose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I have written in my notes here, this movie is every Sega ad from the early 90s. <laughs> Because it really is with like the intermittent cuts and shit, and like that's the first thing I thought of when I saw Jones is oh that's fucking Echo the Dolphin, <laughs> which that may be a dated reference, not maybe. It, it definitely who, I mean, people know Sonic and that's who, about it. Who among you remember Echo the Dolphin? Um, I can't quite remember if I, if I did read anything interesting on it. It has since left my brain just because. My brain was fried pretty hard. Oh, yes, this. Val Kilmer was originally set to star, but left the project after he was offered the role of Batman in Batman Forever. You could argue he picked the better Batman project. Forever is better than this movie. It's certainly more memorable. Yeah, I shouldn't use the word better. <laughs> it's uh, more entertaining. Yes. I I, I, don't, I will never say that it's a good movie, but it's a movie I will happily watch. Yes. Unlike Johnny Mnemonic. Yes. Yeah, this doesn't even have anything fun like um, unhinged Tommy Lee Jones and uh, Batman Forever. Well, it has uh, Dolph Lundgren playing Jesus. That's yeah, but you don't even good. get anything from it, right? He's it... got like fucking total six minutes on screen, if that. He makes the and most. He's got out second of it, billing. He does. Uh, so, being that it's fourteen percent, that means some people liked it. Did you find anybody that liked it? Um, like I said, there were a lot of quoteless uh, scores over there, so I had to dig deep because uh, I usually I use an app. But the app wasn't pulling the quotes, so I had to go to the Rotten Tomatoes website. And there were a couple of quotes there, and then a couple of, uh, I guess, critics that don't have a website anymore. So they were, uh, I guess, they, they exceeded the, the capacity in their hard drives. So they just, there was seepage, and the reviews disappeared. Uh, so what we have is two quotes from Rotten Tomatoes, and then I went to the always reliable letterbox.com where oh, I shit. knew there would be people that would, would have given this movie uh, yeah, well, My friend Justin on Twitter, when you posted that thing and I retweeted, he responded, Johnny Mnemonic, great movie. <laughs> just like, brother. <laughs> great movie. We'll watch again. Five stars. <laughs> um, but, okay, let's start with the Rotten Tomatoes quotes. Uh, Rob Vox from Flipside Movie Emporium says, seriously, it's not that bad. Don't beat me. And he posted that in 2002. So it's not that he was razzle-dazzled by the special effects or just the promise of a new internet. I can't remember what movie we did, but there was one time we did something like that, that it was a movie from like the early 90s, maybe late 80s, and like a review from like 2004 acted like it discovered the movie. Hot so, tip. Yeah. Watch Empire Records. <laughs> um, Mick LaSalle from the San Francisco Gate says, Mnemonic has a cool head. All right, man. Shaking my head. Uh, and now we go into Letterboxd. Patrick Pryor gave Johnny Mnemonic three stars and a heart. He rewatched it on May 10th, 2018. And it's a long thing. I'm just going to, it opens with all caps, why are you all wrong about Johnny Mnemonic? And he <laughs> then he goes on to list a whole bunch of things, uh, but he ends with, 
it's time jabronis stopped writing this as some sort of legendary train wreck of jilly proportions. If you think Johnny, the most rock and roll name of all time, is bad, you don't know what a bad movie is. Okay. Okay, jabroni. And then four stars and a heart from Perry, the thing forsaken by God. And he says, still some of the most appealing cyber junk ever filmed. Don't get nearly enough credit as a wonderful, weird time capsule to 90s sci-fi cinema, or as what it would look like if somebody gave Albert Pion a huge budget, fascinating cast of character actors, and an actual script. Basically invented Vaporwave. Perry, you sound like this movie. Yeah. I can't tell what the fuck you're saying. <laughs> I was like my first response, that's all fine and good, but this movie's just, that doesn't mean this movie's logical or, you know... It, Maybe so. Do we need to be cyberpunks to get it? Do we need to be into the the, the cyber cyberpunk movement? See, that's the thing. It's like it's personal bias or personal preferences. There's a lot of really bad movies that I like, like um, so Halloween Four, uh, Empire <laughs> Records. But you know, things that we've done on this podcast that I can explain to you why I like it. It's just I would need to sit down with one of those people and be like, ex- explain to me. What is good about this movie? Explain seepage. Yeah. I mean, Henry Rollins is good. Um, um, before I we think... go any further, let me get my gimmick out of the way of uh, Johnny Mnemonic released on May 26, 1995. Had a budget of around $26 million for a box office return of a little bit over $52 million, So it did double its budget. So it didn't lose money. Uh, as we mentioned before, directed by Robert Longo. Based on a short story by William Gibson, screenplay credited to William Gibson, starring, of course, Keanu Reeves, and with the second billing on the poster, Dolph Lundgren. Continue. I forgot what I was saying. Oh, I was going to say, are you telling me Johnny Mnemonic is to cyberpunk as, uh, fuck, what's that wrestling movie you like? Ready to Rumble? As Ready to Rumble is to wrestling. I don't know. I would have to know if there's a lot of people in the cyberpunk community that actively hate this movie because that's there's a lot of people in the wrestling community that actively hate Ready to Rumble. And Speaking of which, like, did we talk about on the podcast today about David Arquette getting his throat slit in that death match? I think you might have mentioned it off like when we we're not recording. Yeah, well, David Arquette <laughs> fucked with Nick Gage, and that's what happened. Oh, yeah, because you told me, hey, we might see an uptick on Ready to Rumble downloads. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> he might dethrone uh, our current top download. Valley of the Dolls. Valley of the Dolls. Uh, But the best part was that Patricia Arquette and Tom Arnold the next day were tweeting about... fuck Patricia Arquette's an Oscar winner, and she was tweeting about a pro wrestling match involving Nick Gage, which... What the fuck? What a time to be alive. Fuck where we're going in 2021. (laughs) Now is the time to be alive. We're just mere months away from the developing of the the laser whip, and then we'll peak as, as a civilization. It is boring it doesn't make sense the acting leaves a lot to be desired from the main player being keanu reeves because keanu's a very um i always love in situations like this like musicians and stuff people always say they're a unique talent you have to have certain things that complement it which i don't agree with i think keanu's really good at what he does but it seemed like he didn't have much to work with here and like this movie's so flat and emotionless to begin with that when at your helm is someone who can sometimes come across as flat and emotionless yeah does not help it i i would say he probably didn't get much help from behind the camera mm-hmm. and whatever he was going for because let's assume that he was going for something we'll give him the benefit of the doubt and he was going for something with this performance it, whatever he was going for it does not translate it just looks like he 
can barely remember his lines. And, you know, okay, well, maybe that's what he's going for because his memory is supposed to be fucked up. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he's definitely someone that there's there's a method to his madness. But, again, it's it's confusing and his acting creates more questions of, okay, is he a robot? Right. That's where the director needs to step in and say, no. You just you're a regular human being. the The story is confusing enough as it is. Tenured director Robert Longo directed such things as "This Will Kill You," the episode of Tales from the Crypt, and uh, REM, the one I love video short. Um, and the mnemonic just broke him. And said, That's it. I'm done. You can certainly tell. Uh, I this is like in the past five podcasts. I think I've referenced Marcus Nispel once before. I think that's more than anyone's ever referenced Marcus Nispel, but the reason I say that is the majority of uh, Mr. Longo's directorial filmography is music videos, and this movie certainly has its moments where it looks like a fucking music video. Like I said, it looks like the Game Gear ads that they ran in the early 90s. Or that big chunk where he goes into the VR mode, that's that's uh, the amazing video, uh, Aerosmith Amazing. With <laughs> I was waiting for Alicia Silverson to show up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's... We've said this countless times on this podcast. Uh, the biggest crime a movie can commit, especially in when we're what we're watching these for, is being boring. It's so <laughs> boring. If you're going to be bad, be really bad so we can remember how bad you were. I mean, it has its moments in the, in the so bad it's good category. Mm-hmm. Anytime Dolph Lundgren is on screen, I would just... I, Yes, it's six minutes, but they're kind of glorious. It is, and because he's just such a like we talked about in the Punisher, just a polished actor. Yeah, I he, think I don't think he got typecast for sure, um, but it, it, he's he was good in the Punisher, and he's good here. But it's such a weird character that does not fit in line with anything else that's going on in the movie. If you're gonna have somebody that's so weird in this world, then you need to give him more screen time. Yeah. I don't really need more Yakuza. The first or... thing, yeah, howdy sinners, and then just gets run over by a car. It's like, for fuck's sake. Uh, yeah, I mean, truth be told, I find the the germ of that idea, like the Yakuza in a sci-fi movie, I think that could be really fucking dope. But uh, Give everybody a laser whip. The laser whip is fucking awesome. But yeah, if the ending's going to be Shinji getting his head taken off by the laser whip, just don't do it to Coyote Shivers five minutes earlier. Yeah, that was... It's so unnecessary, too. That, for whatever reason, bothered me a lot more than anything else that happened in the movie. More than the dolphin? Why not? When we got to that point in the movie, why not? Well, yeah. I mean, it's... I I mean, honestly, I can't justify the dolphin. I could see how you would think, well, nobody will see this coming. And I, I wish that there was it was a better reveal. I, I don't know. I, I think the biggest part was the dolphin like looked like a horrible animatronic. Well, it looked ridiculous anyway, even if it was a real dolphin, because he has all that, all that gear strapped to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just maybe I know Willem Gibson. I've never read any of his books, but I know he's he's kind of a big name author. I remember from my my Barnes and Noble days, he has yeah, yeah, yeah. he has a shelf. So is this just a problem of, of bad translation from page to screen or rather from page to screenplay <laughs> to screen? And this is a, a story that deserves the space the depth that you can achieve writing prose instead of having all these characters on the screen, you know, rapid firing all this information at you. And, and, you know, I can see how it was supposed to be an interesting world and it it was supposed to be this very, 
I guess, immersive experience into the future. But it doesn't happen. It, it, it doesn't really work because half the time you don't know what the hell they're talking about. Uh, Tank Girl, the same year that it came out. And that movie has been... That movie apparently, like this, has a very rabid cult following. But uh, to what you're saying is what I've always said about Watchmen. It's like, obviously, it's a bit different being a novel and a graphic novel. But at the same time, the story at its core is not something that... Not every story can uh, fucking transition into a movie successfully. I would watch the hell out of uh, Zack Snyder's Johnny Mnemonic. Of course. <laughs> I'm a glutton for punishment, so absolutely I would watch that. Just focusing on uh, Dolph Lundgren's abs. <laughs> See, he comes out, hello, sinners! <laughs> but the, and that that was like, you know, the slasher fan in me was very disappointed that his Jesus knife only got used once and he didn't even get to see it be used. Um, but that's the whole point. There's like this movie, it's all these different sprinkles of germs of ideas that like, oh, that's cool. Like the whole idea of the movie that the... They have a courier that carries information in his head. Yeah. And... That's cool. Just make it a series of short stories with different deliveries. And sometimes he, he's delivering porn. And sometimes he's delivering important confidential information. And sometimes he's delivering. As weird as it is, we talk about it not being flushed out well enough. But th th you can make a really good short film with this. Yeah. 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 Uh, there is The action scenes are nothing to write home about. So you could just get rid of all of them and just streamline it. I think that you establish what he does having to do like a couple of runs and then eventually he has that package in his head that's too important and everybody's after it you can do a good story you, you can you can make a good story out of that it mm -hmm. just it just doesn't happen here because they're constantly either explaining stuff that ideally you shouldn't have to explain or just throwing random terms at you you know like my report like i mentioned earlier because it love that movie <laughs> me too and that movie creates a future that where you could get lost explaining that future. Mm -hmm. But Spielberg never fell into that trap. Instead, he's just like, look, there's this stuff here, and if you get it, you get it. But if not, not the important thing is what's happening to Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, whereas here, I think that... They're trying to baby the audience, and all it does is makes things way more confusing. Right. They're throwing all these like weird terms and, and explaining. You know, I mean, you are in trouble when the, the opening shot of your movie is the scroll that has all this information and we even rewinded it because you were missing it at first. So I got to read it twice and it still felt like just homework. And it's lengthy. Right. That's the problem. I mean, you're already, you're starting to having to explain a lot of stuff and not in the fun kind of like, Star let's Wars set the scene. Exactly. Yeah. This is not just, we're going to tell you what's happening right now. No, they tell you a whole movie's worth of backstory. Homework's a really good way of putting it because you already feel like, Oh, I need to you remember all this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, you need to remember that uh, the name of the factions. I need to remember like the 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 disease, and you need to remember what the what the mnemonics are and all this stuff. But just show me Keanu Reeves waking up, mm -hmm. and and then I'll figure it out as we go. Don't give me all the shit that I need to remember because I I don't know the story, so I don't know what's important and what isn't. I'm counting on you to tell me. And yeah. if you put all this stuff in writing, then I'm assuming it's all important. Yeah, um, D Dina Mayer. This was her first full-length film. Um, I didn't look up her filmography. I I'll pull that up right now. I I did glance at it because when she showed up, I told you, oh, you know, from Starship Troopers, and you just gave me a blank stare. <laughs> she's in a movie called Stranger Than Fiction. That's not the Stranger Than Fiction. They were like Star Trek Nemesis. She's in. She's in the first Saw. My God, she's in Wild Things, Diamond in the Rough. She's in Saw 2. Hold on. 
She's in Saw 3. Holy cow. Saw 4. Did she make it to the end? No. Cuts off there. Oh, no. Jigsaw got her. She was in Piranha 3D. Uh, so point being, it looks like it was kind of par for the course of what was to come, which is fine. It looks like her um, filmography is just one of, uh, well, I wouldn't call this movie camp, but, you know, Starship Troopers and fucking Saw, those movies are, despite She's... what the Saw, the Saw faithful would have you believe, that movie's fucking just torture porn camp. Well, she's good in this. Yeah. She's, she's definitely, she's better than Keanu Reeves. Yeah. She does what she can with, uh, with what they've given her. Uh, and also leading um, credence to my next point of acting credits. Uh, someone who is not a conditioned actor, Henry Rollins, was perfectly fine in this as well. Yeah, and I was not kidding, Contrarian's Corner. It felt good to just have somebody that whose job in the movie was to give answers. Mm-hmm. Goes back to, you know, it's like the cheat sheet for your homework. <laughs> Henry Rollins is here to tell you at least what's going on and what makes sense. Once you find out that what he's carrying in his head is the cure for the disease that she has and that other people have, then at least you kind of know where you stand in this movie and you can relax about a few things and try to enjoy the ride. Again, this is going back to the movie itself. They don't really establish that that is like a cancer in the modern society. So when you hear what it is, it's just like, okay. Right. They mention it once in the in the opening scroll. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of mention that she has it. But there's so much shit going on that you can't really be sure that what she has is the disease that was mentioned once before at the beginning of the movie. I can't help but feel with this movie it would have been easier to follow if we understood why all these parties have a huge vested interest right off the bat. Right, instead of keeping it secret. Yeah. It, it, why am I giving Avatar credit twice on this podcast? But the unobtainium, they tell you right fucking away why they're there. Uh, with this, I think, yeah, it would be more helpful because even still, if it was the exact same movie but you change that, you know that at the beginning, that still lightens up some of the confusion that can happen later on. Right. I don't have to. Yeah. 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 You're 100% correct because then you know exactly where everybody's coming from and it yeah. makes it easier to follow. Uh, the, the the blue lady, the, the avatar to uh, to the main pharma guy, you know. Zoe that, Saldana? Yes. <laughs> the, the Zoe Saldana to his. The uh, conscience. Yeah. The, yeah. the redheaded. Uh, again, we don't really know what that is. We don't know what that is. And for no reason, she just decides to spill the beans at the very end of the movie. Is she Alexa? Maybe. Or Siri. Siri. It depends. And, you know, if you're going with iPhones or with Android or. That's fair. Yeah. It, it was just the. Like we said, the the main crime of this was that it was boring. They tried to cram too much in. Um, you have to tread lightly when transitioning sci-fi movies like this, especially, and I imagine, uh, I was fucking eight at the time, but I imagined that the idea was following speed, we're going to market this for the masses. And if you're doing like a sci-fi movie that you're hoping that mainstream audiences are going to cling on to, you got to dumb that shit down. I mean, you got to dumb it way down now in fucking 2018. But back then, you know, Star Wars has never been very hard to follow if you have a functioning <laughs> brain. And it also, speed was such a big deal, it seems to get away from that. Because Keanu's almost, the fact that he's a doofus is like almost accentuated in that movie. Right, here he's... For being like a macho, like jock type person. And he, I think that's the other big problem with the movie. You know, because ultimately... I can get by not knowing what's going on and kind of having the information overload. Yeah. Uh, if I'm following an interesting character, 
but really he's just as interesting as a piece of luggage mm-hmm. you know he has his, his i don't know big... man i've seen some pretty interesting luggage and yeah. <laughs> it's a piece of boring luggage it's uh, a cardboard box he he has his big meltdown halfway through the movie the one time in the movie that he seems to have any sort of character before he has his rant his tantrum about wanting uh room service and wanting his laundry done mm-hmm. and wanting the prostitute or whatever I had no idea he wanted those things. No. He's just walking from point A to point B with no personality whatsoever. So when he has that meltdown, I was like, oh, wow, look, a human being. And he come, we come into the movie with him. I, I want out of this. And it's like, why? What happened? Like, Right. Why are you doing it? Yeah. What's going on? How'd you get into it in the first place? It, it, there's nothing. It, it, he doesn't give you anything. You know? no. It's just like, oh, well, now I need to get here. Now I need to get here. Now I need to get here. But who are you? Dropping someone into a situation is fine, and you can pull it off perfectly. Um, what's that movie I suck all the time? Good, uh, good, good time. time. I was going to say big time. Big time. Big time. Good time. Drops you right in and doesn't give you enough time to ask questions. You just understand and follow. This The problem with it is is like there's all these different side spurs, and like the movie creates its own questions that it doesn't even answer and it's you know you, you're wondering the whole time why the fuck is any of this happening but big time from the very big time big time now, you're, now i'm doing big it time. <laughs> good time from the very beginning you're like oh he cares about his brother mm-hmm. okay i can latch on to that and now i know that everything he's doing is because he cares about his brother and but just imagining udo kier playing the the brother character <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it, bleeding somewhere <laughs> it just makes it makes no sense. Yeah, he that's you know, he cares about nothing. That's why the Dynamire character at least it's a little more easier to relate to because you at least get that she's trying to prove herself. Mm-hmm. Right? She's trying to and she's sick and she's trying to cure herself of that. I don't know, you can kind of tell there's a little bit of personality there. Uh Keanu and even after his big meltdown, it's not like that affects the rest of the movie. Far be it for me to criticize The Dark Knight Rises because it is a perfect film, but uh we're talking about this now, and it's making me realize it's a lot like the Selena Kyle character in that movie. Of like, she just shows up and wants out of this life, and you know, it's like, okay, why? What happened? Like, what do you with Keanu here? It's like he just shows up first frame, and it's like, I got to get this is the last one. I'm getting out of here. And right, it never but, explains what happened. But the comparison, it, it, where it, the big difference is that you are dealing with actual characters that people already know. People know who Catwoman is, so you're not starting from a blank slate. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to treat it like the like it's a bottle, like a, a <laughs> bottle film, which obviously it's not. But uh, yeah, but to the point, it's just like it creates the like I just said, it creates these questions that it doesn't need to, and then never answers them. Yeah, and and then you get to the end, and it's really what have we accomplished? Yeah, what what did it all matter? Okay, so. I guess in the macro way, of course, they got the cure out, and mm-hmm. that's good for the planet. But I have no idea how – who gives a shit that he gets the memories of his tricycle back at the very end? Yeah. Right? It's not It's not like that's something that haunts him through the movie. He casually it, mentions it as in like, oh, well, as part of the procedure, I had to. they had to remove some memories. Who cares? He yeah. even says it. So it's not it's not like we see him being tortured by this loss that really the reason he wants to quit being a, a mnemonic courier is because he wants to find out what happened in his past or, or he wants to stop losing memories or whatever. No, he's just this cardboard. Which that would make a compelling story and be interesting. Right. But no. So really, it's like not even. 
It's not even so much. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Christopher Nolan's Johnny Mnemonic. Oh, God. <laughs> Just shots of Keanu holding his temples. <laughs> In the car that's crashing in slow motion. <laughs> that's that's the final frontier, Keanu in a Christopher Nolan movie. Uh, we're not ready. We're not. Maybe in 2021, the mnemonic remake. They'll try to relaunch it. Yeah, and again, we already touched on this, but Keanu, Keanu is perfect in certain roles, and this is not like the type of role for a Keanu Reeves. This would be like for... Um, who would be good in this role? The the role of Johnny Mnemonic. Christian Bale. <laughs> Jesus. Anybody that... Well, no. But see, here's the thing. The problem is that we don't know what he was going for. Is Johnny Mnemonic supposed to be this emotionless being because of what's happening to his brain? Because if that's the case, then Keanu Reeves was going about it the right way, but the movie wasn't because maybe he wasn't supposed to be... He shouldn't have been the person that we're following. Yeah. The movie should have been about Dynamire or about... Uh, Ice-T. I see or Henry Rollins mm -hmm. and with Keanu Reeves' character kind of in the background. And then you're like, oh, that's cool. He's just this thing that mm -hmm. exists in this world. Because there's no, ex the, what we're saying here, there's no reason to get emotionally invested in his story arc. Because right. Because he doesn't care, so why should we? Yeah. He just wants the shit off his head. Yeah. Okay. Well. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry you're getting paid all this money and get to fly to Beijing for this shit. <laughs> get to play with the net that we're not allowed on. Yeah, man, this was not good. Uh, 14% is fitting. If I, it's not an F because there are some things I took away and enjoyed. Other than Dolph Lundgren and, oh, I guess Henry Rollins. Yeah, it, it would be I, a D. I was not as enamored with Henry Rollins as you were, mm -hmm. but I I don't think it's his fault. I think that he really, he comes in to be the Doc Brown of the movie, just to explain, he brings his uh, blackboard and starts just drawing the explanations in there for what's, what's happening. He's got on in his pointer pen this is how nas affects the white blood cell count yes um great scott you have the cure great scott that was painful i'm not i'm not we've done over 100 movies or close to 100 movies at this point and the bottom tier i, I mean i am giving it one star one out of five i i can't really it's there's not enough Dolph Lundgren to give it another half star God bless. And it is it is a chore to get through. But I think that I really do think that if you are maybe into that kind of stuff, if you're like a cyberpunk person, mm -hmm. then that gives you the the background to maybe assimilate this kind of story a little more easily. I feel like there's like the holy trinity of these mid-90s cyberpunk movies. It's like this, uh, Hackers. Tanker. Well, Tank Girl's more of a steampunk. It's not, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, the net's not a cyberpunk one either. But they're, they're faithful listeners of the Contrarians, what what rounds out the holy trinity of mid '90s cyberpunk? There's Johnny Mnemonic, Hackers, and blank. We we anxiously await your response. Spit and polish. Tell us. <laughs> yeah, I, I would be very fascinated to talk to someone that really likes this movie. Yeah, but I think that really it would be one of those conversations where their explanation of why they like it would be it would basically be like oh because i have the experience that adds to this movie it's not because of the movie it's because yeah. what i bring to the movie when i watch like it like me with ready to rumble right exactly yeah. you're like well i enjoy it because i'm i'm familiar with this world yeah so the storytelling may be shitty but i can still get something out of it 
Um, I know why. What's his name carries a. Let's, I don't know. Was it Sting that carries yeah. a baseball bat? Yeah. Or... Good one. Uh, Is it a baseball bat? Yeah. Holy shit! What <laughs> have you done to me? Uh, the most famous wrestling journalist in the world, Dave Meltzer, tweeted about Raid Rumble the other day because someone asked him about it, and he was like. That movie was one of the worst things to ever happen. It portrayed the business as a trash industry and the fans as dumb rednecks. And I responded, well, to be fair, it's a trash industry and all the fans are dumb <laughs> rednecks. <laughs> Blocked. Yeah. All right. So Johnny Mnemonic was there. I agree with what you said. I put it in the lower tier. Usually, and by usually, I mean literally probably 95% of the time when we do this, it never feels like a chore and it never feels like... I've said this a couple times but this is not a movie i would rewatch on my own and it's not a movie that i probably would have ever finished if well, i wasn't for this podcast well alex you know what's coming then what's that is it worse than christmas with the cranks no <laughs> <laughs> and that is why because of uh Dolph lundgren just i don't know if anything will ever top you understood what was going on in Christmas with the Cranks. Well, we did that Christmas story arc. I remember telling you, I was like, I just threw in the towel on Rent. It's not that I dislike Rent. It's just I can't do musicals like that. Uh-huh. And I would have done the same thing with Christmas with the Cranks. But since you were here and we had to watch it, I just had to let it happen to me. That, that's that got to be in like the lower tier of movies I've ever seen. And I think it's just because they they degrade Jamie Lee Curtis to such a way that it... And that the, sto- the final straw. Look. I can this movie Johnny Mnemonic the plot makes way more sense than in Christmas of the Cranks of them just not being able to tell their daughter they can't fucking have Christmas this year. It, Fuck that movie. And this is a movie that includes a dolphin in its climax. Exactly, a dolphin hacker. Dude, that just feels sound. Like, I'm sure that that's the kind of shit that if you're into cyberpunk, you're like, of course. But to people like us, it's like, what the fuck did you just give up? Yeah, it's like the the nerdgasm. Like you're in a sold out <laughs> theater, and everyone's like, "Huh?" And then you just see the one guy in the back. Ah! <laughs> they brought a dolphin. They got it. What's the name? It's Jones. They got Jones right. Yeah, it's a guy that's being afraid that when they finally adapt this story to the screen, they were gonna puss out on that, and they, they were gonna, gonna fuck have... up Jones. Right? They were gonna cast, you know, Vincent D'Onofrio or something. <laughs> It's just Alfred Molina with like the <laughs> the monocle. That's probably true. There's probably one person out there that fucking marked the fuck out for Jones, but <laughs> if not multiple people. Uh, but no, I I greatly am looking forward to uh, the follow up to this with Speed because I'm a big, 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 big fan of Speed. It's um, <laughs> there's multiple movies that Sandra Bullock should have won an Oscar for over The Blind Side, <laughs> and Speed is one of them. Uh, and also it'll give me an excuse to post one of my favorite MTV award show moments ever of when, uh, Adam Sandler and Sandra Bullock were presenting an award the following year after speed and Sandra Bullock got tripped up and started reading the teleprompter at the wrong time. And she's, she's asked Adam Sandler, she's like, so what was it like kissing Keanu Reeves? (laughs) That's wonderful. Um, in the interim, we will be having a Christmas uh, bonus episode that we'll be dropping on Christmas Day uh, uh, to be determined. Yeah, right we're now. still we're still tinkering with some ideas. So. Well, I I, I posted uh, uh, a promo online for something that's not to be yet. Yes, our, our Street Fighter episode with the guys from Watch a Thing is being delayed until January uh, because of the holidays scheduling conflicts and all that stuff we could do it by ourselves but then it would be as much fun as having two australian big hairy guys uh, defending street fighter along with us agreed so we'll postpone that so uh in the interim 
Uh, Julio and I are going to consult our collections of Christmas movies, and we'll figure something out. At this point, we'll just we'll drop it as a surprise. We won't say what it is. So, <laughs> well, unless you check the our our web page, or I could just put like a big question mark. Yeah. Okay, I'll do that. A big question mark shaped like the Family Stone poster. <laughs> and then January first, we'll we'll have Speed, which would be a much more enjoyable experience than this. So, moving along here to plugs to close out this episode of the Contrarians. As always, we want to give a shout out to the Festive Years, who provide our opening and closing tracks. Uh, as always, the opening track, Last Stand, closing track, Summer of '99. They are online. Those come from the album Don't Let Me Use You. And uh, our logo, Julio. Our logo is from Hans Roth Gieser, who has uh, his own podcast called Nacion Combi. Uh, he can be reached at uh, mildemonios at hotmail.com. That's M I L D E M O N I O S. And he's also on Twitter at mildemonios. Uh, he can do your logo, he can answer questions about his podcast, and he also has opinions about stuff. Uh, he actually sent us uh, uh, an mp3 with his i was gonna say thoughts on our episode for about the fly but no it's more about uh he's seen the original fly movie mm. and uh he was not a fan so I'm, I'm gonna play it right here i have seen the original fly movie in spanish it was shown as the fly with the white head in tnt you know how in spanish the titles sometimes are something completely different anyway it was uh, that movie with Vincent Price and there is a reason why you guys haven't seen it it's not shown very much because it's really bad it's awful even for the standards of an horror movie from the 50s it's boring it's predictable the story is quite different it's about this scientist who makes some kind of experiment and his head and arm is exchanged with the head and arm from a fly this fly gets away the fly with a white head. The scientist ends up uh, with the head and hand of a fly. In this condition, he has to revert the experiment. But first, he has to capture the fly, which is flying around the house like a three stooges sketch. It's really bad. It, I, I felt sorry for being surprised. And the sequel to The Fly, The Fly 2, is not really bad. Of course, it's not David Cronenberg level, but it's okay. I saw it in the cinema, I remember. Here it was shown as Where's the Fly or something like that. It's more adventure and juvenile, but it has sense and... It's a good story, although it's better to see it as an independent story, free from The Fly 1. Interesting. So the funny thing is that that didn't really make me want to watch The Fly 2, but really made me want to watch the Vincent Price version. Yeah, that when he said it was really bad, even for horror standards in the 50s, I was like, ooh, this, this might be... Uh, but also, so was it Vincent was Price it? with like a, 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 with a fly mask like on him? Or, or, I mean, there's no CGI back then, so it has to have been that. Oh, God, that sounds just absolutely wonderful. Or did they get a stunt double and Vincent Price just dubbed the dialogue after? <laughs> I, I don't know. I just And the idea of seeing like a little fly with Vincent Price's head flying around the it's house. It's like a little movie with the eight-legged freaks when they just have like the frames of super zoomed in spiders dubbed over. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm all in on that. It, yeah, I think it might need to be at least a bonus episode if we can find it. it. It unfortunately that backfired on you, my friend, trying to dissuade us from watching it. <laughs> or maybe that was his plan all along. It is. He he owns the last remaining <laughs> copy on DVD. Uh, Julio, do you have any plugs? Or actually, I'll go ahead and kick us off. Um, 
So by the time you listen to this, it may be up on our website. It may not be up until the beginning of next week. But this past Monday, December 10th, was the 25th anniversary of Wayne's World 2, which is my favorite comedy of all time. And uh, I felt the need to write up something about it and why it is my favorite comedy. Uh, it's taken a bit longer than I thought, just because basically the way I'm arranging it is, you know, like an introductory into it, and then the top ten reasons why it's my favorite comedy of all time. And I'm, I've been like, or, it's basically organizing them in the correct order of why it really is. And uh, probably is it, is it top ten reasons y'all jabronis are wrong about yeah. Wayne's World? 2? Why y'all wrong about Wayne's World too? Um, it's. I think there's so much brilliance to that movie, and I understand that's probably when you read this, it's probably more thought than anyone's ever put into Wayne's World too. But that's my favorite comedy of all time, so I felt the need to write something about it. So when you're listening to this, if it's not up yet, just check back to the page. I'm sure we'll share it on Twitter and Facebook. We'll, we'll definitely make the announcement <laughs> that it's dropped. Uh, last night I stayed up way too late and watched Muppets Take Manhattan, which is my favorite Muppets movie, and. Just a reminder of just how fucking great that movie is. So. Is that the movie where Kermit gets hit by a cab? He gets amnesia. That's fucked up, dude. I I saw that in theaters, and that that messed me up. I did not know that Muppets could get hurt. <laughs> and well, so when that happens, it's just it's a big shock. But then he gets snapped back in when Piggy hits him. Well, yeah, but that's you know you're used to that. I'm just yeah. saying, as a kid watching a movie, that's fair. You know that is that's a little hard to um, take. Well. I love it. And at the end, Piggy and Kermit get married, and like the whole cast from Sesame Street's there. It's fucking wonderful. And then Liza Minnelli, like not taking herself too seriously, and that one, she has like a cameo in it, um, where they're in like a restaurant, and Kermit's trying to present himself as like a famous French producer. So he takes down, it's like a restaurant, you know, they put up all the eight by tens of the actors that have been in there. So he takes down Liza Minnelli's and then puts up a picture of himself, and Liza Minnelli like comes in, and she asks like the maitre d', did I do something wrong? <laughs> It's really funny. Um, Spider-Man, the new PS4 game, picked the, it was playing it when Julio got back today. That game is fucking awesome, and if you've played it, I don't need to tell you that. It's just my gaming, as you guys can tell from if you've listened to this very long, it's infrequent, but when I do pick up a game, I get super into it if it's good. Uh, the last one was Call of Duty Zombies, and this Spider-Man game has been um, occupying a great deal of the uh, TV bandwidth in the house, if it's not myself. Uh, my sister, who also lives here, is playing it quite often. And that's only PS4? Correct. Why? That's how you sell consoles, man. Make exclusive titles. That's bullshit. Um, Xbox, I'm sure, has something that's cool, too. Uh, Spider Boy. And lastly, the British Baking Show. Are you familiar with this? I've heard of it. Oh, God. It's just wonderful binging TV, and they have it on Netflix now. That's the plug. Watch the (laughs) British Baking Show. It's a lot of fun. It's like one of those things of like... The first time I heard about it, I was like, this sounds stupid. And then like, I watched a half hour. I was like, oh, God, this is so engaging. I mean, I, I can't make fun of you because I watch both Hell's Kitchen and uh, MasterChef. So I'm a big Gordon Ramsay fan. Mm-hmm. So my question now is, this show, this British show, is it like gentle? Or is it just a full-on raging asshole like Gordon Ramsay? No, Ramsey's, it's like, gentle. Yelling. But like, it's also, they're so, like, the British are typically so polite that even when they, like, oh, this is the worst one yet, but they like they say things, and it doesn't sound nearly as devastating as when Gordon Ramsay does it. He's British too, is he? Yeah, I that's what makes like it so much fun. No, no, no. He's... Okay, I mean, I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe I've been watching all this time, uh, misjudging his accent. But it's possible. But 
the particular hosts on this are good. And then there's also a great sketch from SNL a few years ago where they did a, a spoof of the British Baking Show that had uh, Emily Blunt on it, and she was like, uh, just like a junkie that was just trying to get money, and so she did this, and it's like all these like really good chefs, and then she just like makes a cake and sticks like Twizzlers in it and shit, and she's like, yeah, this is what I made. Uh, so all that. Wayne's World 2, Muppets Take Manhattan, Spider-Man the Game for PlayStation 4, and the British Baking Show. Um, have a little bit more uh, feedback. Chas Fisher. Constantly, oh, boy. Constantly referenced here. He didn't send us an MP3, but he felt the need to point out uh, that we need to rewatch the original Terminator. Because you might remember that during our Fly episode, we were kind of wondering why is it that the Terminator needs to show up naked when he's a machine. Mm-hmm. Right, because Kyle Reese makes sense, but if the Terminator is a machine, then why is he? Yeah. Why does he need to be naked? Right, and then Chaz says that we must have forgotten that the Terminator needed his living tissue skin in order to time travel, which honestly, I don't remember. I'm gonna take his word for it. Mm-hmm. But so I guess that explains why he's naked. I still don't think so, right? Because he would be. You could have the living tissue and have the the jacket and pants on. But what if they like? fuse together like teleport in together like it would happen on the fly yeah but then wouldn't it fuse together with his metal stuff already well that'd be a dead giveaway if he's just like a fucking exoskeleton like a walking metal skeleton with a flannel fuse to it (laughs) no no no. but what i'm saying is that would the living tissue skin would it not fuse with the exoskeleton Mm. maybe that's like a deleted scene Whatever the case, he had to be naked because, one, we get Arnold ass, and two, because he's naked, we get fucking blue mohawked Bill Paxton pulling a switchblade and saying, fuck you, asshole. Hey, I'm, Oddly I'm... enough, that's the exact same line he had in Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then uh, I watched... Have you seen... Have you gotten around to watching Hunger? The Fassbender movie? The Fassbender oh, movie. Oh, yeah, it's excellent. Okay, I finally watched it. Uh, they had it up in the movie, and that was rough. Yeah, that's Steve McQueen's, you know, those really feel-good movies that he turns out. Well, he has his new movie that he has out. It's, it's you know, it's kind of like a fun Yeah, romp. when I saw the trailer for that, I was like, hmm. And then it was directed by Steve McQueen. I was like, huh? That does not make any sense. He decided to give us a break, and, and this is just a, a well-executed thriller, I guess. And, uh, a heist movie. And at this rate, his next movie is going to be like fucking The Rock and uh, I don't know. The Tooth Fairy. <laughs> Jesus. Fassbender. The Rock and Jonah Hill doing something. <laughs> go back to college. So, yeah, he's. Uh, I watch Hunger. It's, and that was. Fassbender's incredible in it. It's brutal. Oh, yeah. It, it was just. I already knew that it was supposed to be brutal and still just really. Like, it was a rough watch. Um, so. I think out of his that one, two, three he did, the two piece and a leg kick of uh Hunger, Shame, and Twelve Years a Slave, I think Hunger might be the one I'd be most inclined to revisit. See, I wouldn't because it's just so hard to watch. You tell me Twelve Years a Slave isn't hard to watch? But it has a happy ending. So you can get through it because you know Brad Pitt Jesus is coming at the end. <laughs> I, that's right. I my mind always immediately goes to like the lashing scenes and the the rape and striker and like oh yeah and then um fucking cockbag Garrett Dillon Hunt that rats him out. <laughs> okay, I should have said it has a happy ending relative to where shame and uh, hunger end. 
especially hunger. I own shame, and I have never rewatched it since I saw it in the theater. Because you have shame. I do have shame. I, it was one of those, the Blu-ray was like five bucks. It was like, hell yeah. And then like sometimes I'll just look at it on the shelf and be like, mm. it It deserves a revisit. I I think it's better than better than 12 Years a Slave and definitely better than Widows. I don't know about Hunger. Yeah, until you said it, because uh, my brain just goes to the really sh- brutal shit in that movie. I did forget that Brad Pitt is Jesus in <laughs> 12 Years a Slave. God bless. Um, but yeah, so I watch Hunger. Good movie. I mean, watch it. It's just worth be watching it's, for uh, Fassbender's performance. Just brace yourself because it's it's really it's a rough watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing, remember when uh, at the end of the summer of Travolta we said, okay, well, how long do we have a relapse? And I, I forgot to bring it up. It actually happened a few weeks ago where I had a Travolta relapse and I watched uh, Domestic Disturbance. And uh, is that Domestic Disturbance the one where uh, his ex-wife? marries um vince vaughn and vince vaughn is some sort of criminal that's trying to i have just... no idea that it's not good up. it's okay. not good it's not a plug this is just me telling oh, okay. you um domestic disturbance sucks and i watch also urban cowboy yeah <laughs> not what i would call a good movie it's interesting it's i mean i'm glad i watched it mm-hmm. i'll need to watch it again mm. i got a vibe of uh uh just like a southern uh, Saturday Night Fever, kind of. Uh, I I don't know. I was. It, it also I I don't know what to tell you that I I watched it and I think I'm just I, trying to think of scenes from Saturday Night Fever that could be remade with a southern motif. Well, you know what I mean. He's doing the the rodeo thing and he dances and he's just this popular guy, but he's also a huge asshole. Yeah, it's the same thing as as his character in Saturday Night Fever. Only he has the accent. Whoa. Pump the brakes, kid. Uh, Saturday Night Fever's an all-timer. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Okay, so also lesser quality. (laughs) And the longer it goes, and it's really long, the longer it goes, the worse it gets. Shockingly less racism. (laughs) Yes. Well, everybody's friendlier down (laughs) south. So, Uh, But anyway, the only reason this is related, because it's not a plug, is that I also uh, almost accidentally started watching the Get Shorty TV show. That's They have the first season of Netflix. I saw you post about this. Dude, it is... Really good. It's ten episodes for the first season. I've seen four of them, mm-hmm. and uh, and now it's gotten to the point where it's markedly different from mm-hmm. the movie. It's obviously it's just the basic idea of this mobster, this guy that has ties to the mob, decides to move to L.A. and try to make it into the movie business. That's it. Mm-hmm. it, it that's all the resemblance it has to uh, to the movie and to the book, uh, but. So in the Travolta role, the role of the mobster is uh, Chris O'Dowd. Nice. You know him. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, For some reason, he the first thing that always jumps to mind with anyone I talk to about him is, oh, he's the cop from Bridesmaids. That's how I was about to tell you, the cop yeah. from Bridesmaids. Uh, and then in the Gene Hackman role, sort of, the producer that he ends up meeting over there and, and, and teaming up with is Ray Romano. I'm in. That's all I should have to say, and then you're in. But if, if the cast of characters is... Very interesting. And of course, they have a whole season for all I know, a whole three seasons. I don't know how long it's going to take them to make this movie. I mean, I'm at episode four and they're still trying to figure out the financing. Uh, but it, they can expand, right? So, and get shorty, Travolta gets everything done pretty quickly and pretty effortlessly. And, uh, but, but here, it's just like every step is a struggle. And, uh, 
and then a couple episodes in, then you really see the mark the mark difference uh, between Tr- the Travolta character and the Chris O'Dowd character because Chris O'Dowd is an asshole. Mm-hmm. He's the guy you're kind of rooting for, but then he starts doing some really really reprehensible stuff. In th- then now you're not watching somebody that's. Oh, you know, Chili Palmer, except that he's not called Chili Palmer. There's a completely different character, and that's pretty exciting because you know you have. I have at least six more episodes to go with this guy. I don't know how much farther he's gonna fall. If Something he's new, ever... basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a completely different dynamic. Uh, and Ray Romano is a very different character than Gene Hackman. Also, you know, he's just this guy that's uh, much like Gene Hackman. He's kind of like a B movie director, straight to video kind of guy. But unlike Gene Hackman, he has a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> from the one time he tried to make a big prestige movie. So this kind of becomes his, his chance to get it right. It's it's really good. Nice. So if you have time. There's <laughs> too much content out there, man. I know. But but that's why I it started playing it as something that I was not expecting to get hooked on, just something to have in the background and then end up getting hooked. So uh, just beware that they will hook you. <laughs> All right, well, that'll do it for this episode of The Contrarians. That was Johnny Mnemonic. Up next in our uh, chronological series will be Speed, uh, but before then we'll be dropping a bonus Christmas episode yet to be determined. Uh, In the meantime, take care. Send us whatever that trifecta of gold was in the cyberpunk era. We'll be sure to at least acknowledge it and give a stern nod to it. Uh, We thank you all, as always, for joining us here on The Contrarians. We're we're right and we're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Let's go make this summer one that's full of memories. You won't regret it. I know a place outside of town. I think you'll really love it. At night when no one is around, we'll drive into the sunset. Promise me you won't forget. That summer of 
that is just livid that he went to Blockbuster and they didn't have Johnny Mnemonic. <laughs> and, uh, it, and I remember, I mean, I didn't even have internet back then, but I remember just kind of like making the connection. Well, that's because the video for Johnny Mnemonic is not out yet and they mm-hmm. only carry the, the original stuff. But my teacher spend at least 10 to 15 minutes just ranting against Blockbuster <laughs> and really creating this expectation in the entire class that Johnny Mnemonic was going to be this amazing movie Game when we changer. finally got to it. So you can imagine, one, my excitement when I finally got to rent Johnny <laughs> Mnemonic from Blockbuster months later, and two, my disappointment <laughs> when I finally watched Johnny Mnemonic. I was like, what is this shit? <laughs> really, probably the only reason I remember Johnny Mnemonic and Oh, I That's fair. God, I couldn't imagine like being amped about seeing this movie and then it was my aesthetics. The world uh, come crashing down. Yeah, my aesthetics professor. I can imagine he probably had seen maybe some pictures. I heard what it was about, and he's like, "Man, they're depicting the future, the <laughs> internet." And then you see it, and even in 1996, I could tell it was a shit movie. I'm sorry for the experience. <laughs> yeah, I could not imagine like waiting with bated breath for this, like I did for The Dark Knight, and then just being like, "Oh." It's a dolphin. 